Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. God, I mean, so as uh, Giovanni was saying, so obviously we've gone through part of the story and this is now the end. I noticed uh, Teresa last week was saying that uh, unfortunately we will not get to the grand finale uh, that was uh, last week. So you guys are very lucky. We're going to get the grand finale today. So something um, is very exciting and we're going to complete a key component of it and there is a plenty of learnings in that process. So as Giovanni said, you get the famine, travel to, uh, uh, to, travel to, to Egypt to get uh, grain because they were running out. The 11 uh, brothers, 10 of them went. The, then they, um, Joseph recognized them. He, he, they did not recognize him. He treated them as spies. And then uh, Simeon, uh, one of the brothers, was jailed and asked them to go back and bring Benjamin, their youngest brother. They waited for a while. Their grain finished. They're running out of food again. And Jacob had no other option but to send Benjamin with them. After Judah, uh, the, one of their brothers said, I myself will be surety for him. For my hand, from my hand, you shall require him. And that was a very, very strong statement from uh, Judah, which allowed uh, the um, activities that we were about to get through to proceed. They've been uh, received in a very interesting way. A banquet was offered to them. And then uh, saints, uh, some of the um, fathers were contemplating on this and said, why was no banquet the first time and why is the banquet the second time? Is it simply because Benjamin is there? And uh, basically the thinking came around Benjamin as the little one, right? He is the insignificant last uh, a child uh, of, of Jacob and a number of contemplations from the fathers went through this and it's similar to the story that we had for example with David um, if you remember when Samuel went as a prophet and he wanted to anoint a king because the Lord told him to go they uh, went to Jesse's house which is the, the father of David and he asked him show me your, your, uh, your, brother, your uh, sons and he kept sorry, showing, he's the oldest, okay, not second oldest, God said no, third oldest, and so forth, and went through the whole lot. And finally, Samuel said, hmm, there's something wrong here. The Lord did not ask me to anoint any of them. Are there any more? And then, funny enough, the Jesse said, oh, now what I remember, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. He's just the nobody one keeping the sheep. Bring him. And Samuel, when he saw that, he sent and uh, bring them for, uh, Samuel said, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And that's the, 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 the resemblance what we have here. And basically, as if the Lord is telling us, the little ones are very important. Without them, we're not going to have the banquet. A church without little ones is not a love church. And um, our uh, dearest uh, uh, Pope, Shunuda used to say that a church uh, without youth is dead. Youth 
without church is dead. So you need to have both. And the Lord tells us, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. This is exactly what uh, the Lord um, reminding us of how important the little children are. So we're now starting with chapter 44. If I may ask uh, one of you, please, to read nice and loud till from verse 1 to verse 5, and then we go through them. Thanks. And the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and God, Amen. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. Thanks. So obviously this is the continuation of the story, and at that point in time Joseph had clear instruction for his men what to do. What's interesting is the fact in verse 1 when he says, Till the man's, fill the man's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of its sack. And that, um, the whole story of Joseph is a very, very clear representation of Christ. And you will see, we've gone through it in the last couple of weeks, and today it will become even clearer. That is, all the fathers have agreed of the resemblance of story of salvation with the Lord, with Joseph. Joseph, the beloved son, similar to our Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and it's um, a, a journey to salvation. And he's allowing Joseph to save his, his people, same way as Lord Jesus saving us all. But what you can see clearly here is the generosity of how beautiful Joseph is, regardless of all what happened and all the activities and all the uh, hardship that he has uh, experienced. Yet, the generosity of put as much as you can, which is very much similar to the Lord's um, richness when he gives with no account. And as much as you can. The Lord here can pour on us the Holy Spirit, pour on us blessings beyond. As long as we can carry them, you will, you will get. But what's interesting is the contrast of that to the image that Jacob had of the man. Let me explain. So sometimes we hear people telling us about stories about others and we perceive an image of what that person is based on people's eyes, based on their perception. And sometimes it is extremely wrong. And that's why we need to be very, very careful. In this case, you are talking about Jacob having a, a, a representation from the ten his sons about this man, and he says the man, the lord of the country, a very harsh one, is a very tough one. As soon as he saw them first time, you are spies. He takes them, put uh, one of them in prison, and said, you go back and come. And the way the, um, 
Jacob heard that say, uh, he then had to sort of develop this understanding that this man is very tough. Funny enough, this man is his beloved son. It's the son that he loved most. Yet his image of him, of him is totally, totally and utterly different. So let's see, for example, and that's back in chapter 43, when Jacob um, is, is explaining to his sons what to do. And say, take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a, a present for the man. Take almond and honey and double money. Perhaps it was an oversight. He's just trying to understand. Maybe it's an oversight. It's not that harsh. Take your brother also and arise and go to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. And if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So it's just a very interesting um, uh, um, contrast between what the man perceived to be from his own father that loves him so much and between reality of what that man is. The other interesting bit is that when um, um, when the uh, the steward caught up with the um, so basically the steward went and caught up with the with the ten brothers and basically um, told them well you must have uh, stolen something we need to do we need to check um, and when we overtake them say to them why have you repaid evil for good is not this the one from which my lord drinks now that is probably not strong enough you know you're not gonna get a steward all the way running all the way to these ten people and he is like the second in command has all the riches and all the money in his in his uh, at his access uh, and then is worried about a, a silver cup yani it's not very believable that's why he added the other one which the spice uh, with it and said basically yeah there's a cup that the, the lord drinks and with which he indeed practiced divination what what does that mean so first of all um practice divination it's uh, uh it's it's more like uh, something divine something outside the norm um egyptian would would do that a lot there used to be a number of these actually any uh, egyptians of you have seen their teta or giddo they sometimes do this still there's the coffee the turkish coffee and then they flip it over and then they make traces uh, from the remaining of the coffee after they finish drinking it, obviously. And then they start to build the story. It's almost like reading the palm of your, of your hand. So all these stuff the Egyptians used to do a lot. And we inherited that until now in Upper Egypt, the very simple areas. They do some of that. So that becomes now believable. Because, yeah, he's, according to the brothers, he is Egyptian, um, Joseph. And hence... Yep, obviously this is a very special thing. It's a very spiritual thing for them. That's why that becomes a little bit more believable. So um, the other the other thing is so okay. So that's pretty much this part. So now we're going to see uh, if we can read from verse six all the way to seventeen, please. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these thing these same words. 
And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we will also and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now also, let it be according to your words, he with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched, he opened, he began with the oldest, and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God has, not, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, before we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do, that I should do so. The man is whose hand the cup was found. He shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. This is a very important passage. And that's why I wanted to read it all in, in total. Because you see that a massive change in the activities. You've seen a basically a, a life of repentance, which is in the Orthodox Church, is a very important thing. Um, they always tell you that when someone asks you to prepare a talk or a Bible study, you end up learning more than actually the people listen to it. Funny enough, I had two incidents, two, one after the other, both of them uh, yesterday and today, and I had to prepare a similar thing, talking about the same topic. As if the Lord is telling me a clear message, hopefully to me and hopefully to you as well. And the message is simply about repentance. Which is the most fundamental thing that a church calls for? And the reason why is because the Lord did that as well. The very first commandment that the Lord Jesus on earth, when he started his mission after baptism, after he got baptized by John the Baptist, was a message of repentance. Repent for the The kingdom of God is at hand. Thank you. So in here, what we see is that journey. And I want to take you, or let's pause for a bit, and take you again through some of the scenarios so that you can see how it is linked. You started by ten brothers. That is absolutely ignorant. They've done a massive sin in their life. They hated out of jealousy, one of their own blood and flesh, their brother. They wanted to even kill him, but eventually they end up selling uh, him as a slave. Yet, the rest of the activities until this point, you see that it seems to be not an issue for them at all. They're living extremely okay. They're dealing with their father, as if nothing happened. They explained to him that, oh, maybe uh, they just 
got some blood on his uh, favorite uh, uh, robe and basically said, oh, must have been killed. And so their dad, in agony, in so much uh, disappointment, all these years, and it seems that has not really uh, had any impact on them. So that level of, uh, of complacency is what you will see there. You can actually realize that complacency as well at the very beginning of the story. When, when the, it was a big, uh, uh, there was hardly any grain left, and Israel and his people in their land had no food whatsoever. You did not hear from any of these ten brothers that really had anything to be bothered about. I mean, they're literally going to die. There is nothing left. You have this massive uh, problem in their hands. It's, they were already just the first year of seven years, and yet it seems to be not phasing uh, for them at all. Until their dad, the very old man, the one that supposedly, you know, that's it, he's lived his life and is just, you know, a few years away from uh, passing away, yet he's the one that actually told them, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. Very, very strong. I mean, obviously, he's done some analysis. He found out something, and he is finally pushing them. And that is actually a sign of a non-repentant person. When we live our lives with that sort of life of complacency, we're not just um, not repenting and not proactive, we are actually complacent about everything else under the sun. Um, funny enough, I was having a discussion with a number of uh, Sunday school servants uh, a number of week, uh, days ago. And we were talking about, and they were saying, oh, you know, I have people uh, serving with me, servants, but they're neither not available, or when I go visitation, they're not there, or they, we asked them to prepare the lesson last minute, they couldn't, whatever the, the scenarios are. And we were discussing, okay, how do we fix this, how to improve, how to engage, how to encourage. And then it really hit me after preparing for these talks yesterday and today, is that it's actually not about just motivating. It's really about that life of repentance. If you have a repentant heart, you would be on fire. If you are not, you are complacent. And you will see exactly now what I'm talking about. Um, every time uh, throughout the last number of years, Uncle Magdi Elada, who has uh, been the superintendent for Sunday school for quite a number of years in this church, Whenever we come with him with a problem, or whenever he comes ask about us, uh, and, and are looking after some Sunday school activities, he tells, tells me, are the servants repentant? He was, used to do that all the time. And it, now, finally, finally, it took me a few years, it hit me what he actually means by that. But let's go through it. So, when the brothers went, and they were accused to be uh, spies, this discussion happened later on with Jacob when they came back and they were very uh, stressed because the guy thinks they're a spy. Listen to this. The, the brothers are telling Jacob and explaining to him, but we said, but we said to him, we are honest 
men. We are not spies. Really? <laughs> wow, it's a bit of a stretch of, uh, of reality here. Honest men? They're saying this in front of the guy that actually they want to kill their brother? It's actually really very um, confronting, isn't it? This is how complacent they are. They have no idea. And then what's even funny is that how Joseph responded to them. Look at that. They are still explaining. Then the man, the lord of the country, we talked about how, you know, that harsh view, said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. As if he doesn't know. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your household and so forth. And then he said, and bring your younger, youngest brother to me. Uh, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. So he's really rubbing it in, isn't he? So there you go. Complacency, ignorance, and actually righteous. Yeah, that's, that's the status that they're in. Now started things to shape up a bit. They've been now uh, accused of being spies. And you would hear for the first time uh, someone talking about, oh, remembering an early sin, as if it was too far in the past. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this stress has come upon us. Funny enough, they are saying this in the language in front of Joseph, thinking he's Egyptian. And uh, he's talking them through translator. But obviously, Joseph can hear the whole thing. But that is actually good. It's a good initial sign. And that's what happens. The Lord and J Joseph, as we've explained, representing the Lord Jesus in the story, guiding us to salvation. And they've been trying to guide us and guide his people, in this case his brothers, to that. To recognize where they are and to recognize where they need to go. So that's the first point that sort of started to get them to feel. Funny enough, after this, they went back. They forgot everything. They lived normally, even though they lost another brother. Simeon, poor guy, is still in jail there. But he was, they have no problems continuing life, normal until they run out of grain again. And guess who reminded them? Jacob. So Jacob told them, guys, do something again. And they had this negotiation, and as we've discussed, uh, Judah finally stepped up and said, I will be the, sh the surety for this. And when they got really squeezed, and this is what uh, Joseph did, he really squeezed them and started to accuse them, as we just heard now, of being not just spies, but now thieves, and taking the very precious silver cup. You would see that is the action that sometimes the Lord takes to get us in, to get us in a position where we would be ready to repent. In easy times, very hard, but in harsh times, in tribulations, in trouble, you would basically tend to think a bit and think deep, honestly, and look at yourself and assess yourself rather than being just on a la-la land complacent. And finally, um, we, we, we hear and we pray in Agbeya, uh, uh, for example, in the sixth hour, we say, because of our many sins, 
We are without liberty, perplex, or excuse. We have no excuse. We can only plead to you, O Virgin Mary, and asking for intercession. And that's what happened. Judah jumped in and said the very famous statement, verse uh, 16, when he said, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. And that is the point where they finally reaching the level of recognizing the sin and understanding that this is from God. Um, and that is why Judah is perceived as, uh, as probably um, a very significant character out of the 12 because actually is rewarded for that. That action of saving someone is obviously he became uh, in the lineage of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. That is what now Judah is proposing. Now this story of repentance is repeated millions of times in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. You find out any book and there will be at least one or two or half a dozen of those repentance activities. Like the whole book of Judges is all about people falling and then repenting, falling and then repenting. But one very, very famous story as well is the story of the repentance of King David. Now King David fell in a, in a very bad sin. He not just sinned with his own eyes, looked at this lovely lady, Uriah's uh, wife. He actually committed adultery with her. Then he wanted to get the husband to come back from war to sleep with her, and that was not possible. So he decided to kill him and sent a letter with him to the commander to put him on the front line so that he gets killed, and that's exactly what happened. So he committed adultery and he murdered and at that point in time was probably one of the lowest spiritual status that King David had. Now King David is an amazing person. The Lord said his heart is aligned with my heart. His Psalms is a great witness to how beautiful his spiritual life is. But as everyone else, we have ups and downs. Now in this case, uh, the Lord asked Nathan the prophet back then, to go to uh, David and tell him a story. And it's a hypothetical story about a rich guy and he has everything and he has this poor guy that has got one animal and uh, some uh, people came to visit and he by force took the only animal that belongs to that poor guy and, and slaughter for his uh, uh, friends that came over. And what's very interesting is the reaction from David. It's then said, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. That's exactly what the ten brothers said. If you go back in the thing, they said, No, 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 we are not thieves. If you find that cup with anyone, we will... We will surely die and we will be slaves for you forever. Every one of us will be. It's just exaggerated everything, right? Again, that's another um, 
aspect of being ignorant and being totally in a, in a different world and not realizing who you are and what your sins are. And this case, as I said, was the lowest in David's life because he could not even recognize the very strong resemblance between him taking the wife of a very poor guy that has nothing and while he has over 40, 50 wives and concubines and so forth, yet he basically lusted for that one that belonged to that poor guy and came killing him. So um, when Nathan told him, you are the man, then David paused and his response was similar to what Judah did and said, I have sinned against the Lord. And immediately, Nathan received the word of God, and then he said, the Lord said, also, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And that is a proof that that repentance that came from David straight away was accepted to God. We know other examples where people say, I have sinned, and really was not accepted at all to God. And very much in Samuel as well, there is a story of the king just before David, who is King Saul, who actually had a very similar situation. And he had sinned by not fulfilling the, uh, the command that the Lord said on behalf of Samuel, his prophet, and said, wipe away that nation. He went to war, and he decided to keep the king back, King Agag, who wanted to sort of make fun of him and, you know, feel like, oh, I'm, I'm strong and I now can do whatever I want. And he kept some of the best spoils of, the, of that uh, city. And that was against God's commandment. And then Samuel went in to argue with him and said, that was not, you know, this was incorrect. I, clearly the instruction from the Lord was wipe everything. The Lord wanted the city to be totally wiped up, which is a similar way as when God asked us to wipe away sin. Not half, full. You wipe it all away and move on. So at that time, Saul said this very famous thing. I have sinned. It was not accepted. And you would probably understand why when you listen to the rest of his statement. He continued. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. He could see that link to the Lord. But what Saul said, I have sinned, comma, yet honor me now. Please before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Very clearly he has a very totally different uh, intention here. His intention was simply he wants to make sure that he goes out to his people and have Samuel the prophet next to him to recognize uh, uh, his power and recognize his dominance as, as a king. Had absolutely no interest whatsoever to look at any type of repentance or anything to do with the Lord, just himself. And that's the big difference between a true repentance and um, someone who is basically self-obsessed. So this is the story of repentance that finished with the um, uh, Judah saying, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. We'll move on now. We'll go now and continue on it's a longer passage. Judah intercedes for Benjamin. So we're going to now go through the discussion between uh, Judah and his brother, 
And at that point in time, he still cannot recognize that he's brother. So we'll pray, read from verse 18 all the way to 34. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone, alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go back and buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my grey hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the Lord is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen. When he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surely for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? It's a, obviously a longer passage, but it's pretty much a repeat. So uh, Judah is going through the whole story again, explaining to the second in command in Egypt, Joseph, of why it, it's a concern and why he is now becoming a surety for the lad. But a couple of things to highlight and then we move on. First one is, what's interesting, and the father's comment on that is, in uh, verse 20, uh, he refers and he says, Judah, his father loves him. He talk, he's talking about Benjamin. His father loves him. Very interesting, because that is exactly the reason why they did all this to, to Joseph. It seems that it is a very light on now. I mean, before, that was a massive thing. If you remember back then, number of weeks ago now probably that was a massive thing they were so jealous they hated his guts and when he saw him coming very happy with the lovely colorful uh, robe and uh, before that he was telling them about this beautiful dream he had where all of them were kneeling down in front of him which by the way all got fulfilled now um, they, they basically hated him they had nothing but hatred and jealousy. Now, very lightly, uh, uh, Judah is explaining that Benjamin is actually the one that his father loves him. After a bit later, in verse 30, he said, his life is bound up 
in the lad's life. Jacob's life is bound up in the lad's life. And that's actually interesting contemplation. And that obviously, when the ten brothers saw what happened to, uh, to their dad, and the agony that he went through for the loss of his son, it seems that they had some pity, some mercy. And they can now recognize that they can't change that whether they like it or not. And they're accepting that. And it's no longer becoming something of jealousy. It's becoming almost something of um, mercy on his, on his father, seeing what they've caused him to be. Um, so what we can see as well in there is that they talked about the concept of unless you get your brother. So when the... They, uh, when uh, uh, Joseph asked, yeah, unless you bring your brother and come, I will not uh, save you. And your, your other brother, Simeon, will stay with me. And the fathers contemplate on this and said, like we say that uh, Joseph is representing in the Lord, unless you get everyone in the family to the him, unless you solve all the issues you have and come in front of him, you will not be able to be with him and enjoy the banquet with him. And that reminds us with Matthew and say, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And at this point in time, they finally were reconciling with their brother. They're finally recognizing the wrong thing they've done and finally it's hitting them that they did this as a sin against the road and starting the journey of repentance. One last point in this, uh, when um, uh, it stays torn to pieces, they talked about Jacob and said he will be surely is torn to pieces. That is actually very, very interesting. If you put yourself in Joseph's uh, place and you hear the bro Judah telling him that you, my, your dad was torn to pieces when he heard about their son, their, their, his son being killed, this is probably, probably the first time ever that Joseph got an answer to his very big question that was with him for years and years throughout his whole experience in Egypt. Why my dad did not come after me? Why was I left alone in a foreign land and no one bothered? The brothers, he knows, they hate him, they're jealous. But the father, now he is linking it together. He can now see that poor dad, he thought I was dead because they showed him the, the blood. So uh, Joseph now is starting to uh, get very emotionally involved. And that is leading now to chapter 45, when Joseph would finally reveal himself. All the past number of uh, weeks with the last chapters, Joseph was strong, was pulling himself, and when he was starting to get too emotional, he would move away from his brothers, cry and come back, but still holding it together. 
And this time, he felt the repentance is achieved. They are now repentant. He can see the genuine repentance from his brothers. He can see that it is now the right time. So we'll start now with uh, chapter 45 and we'll go up to verse 8. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So this is the turning point now, when finally Joseph revealed himself. Very interesting, the first couple of verses when they said, Joseph could not restrain himself, and he wept aloud. It's uh, not just a normal weeping. It's like, ah! he was like, lost it, absolutely lost it. And that is just his heart melt. The melting of the heart. There are a number of so many contemplations from uh, our early fathers on this. And I think I've captured a few of them and I want to read a few of these. First one was on the first three when Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. This actually, I'll read you. This is Saint uh, Ambrose. Ambrose is the saint that uh, baptized Saint Augustine back 300 something, right? So he said, as Jesus said, he had not come except to the lost sheep that were the loss uh, of the house of Israel. Jesus stretched out his hand to an unbelieving and, and, and contradicting people, for he did not seek an envoy or messenger, but as their very loud desire to save his own people, sorry, as their very Lord desired to save his own people, he cried out at that time, I am Jesus. When the leaders of the Jews tempted him and asked, Are you the Son of God? He answered, You say that I am. Whereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming upon the clouds of heaven. This is what Joseph means when he says, I am Joseph. Very strong resemblance. I am Joseph. I am he. I am who I am. The Lord is revealing himself that he is the Son of God. And here Joseph is revealing himself. He is the beloved Son the other bit is when uh, they could not answer. They were speechless. They just stood still like a rock. And it says there, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. St. John Chrysostom says, 
I am surprised at the way they could stand there and grape without their soul parting company with their body, without their going out to their mind or hiding themselves in the ground. They were dumbfounded. No wonder, awake of the way they had treated Joseph, of his position in compassion with their and realizing the high office he has attained, they feared for their very lives, so to say. So it's just probably what's going in them in that next couple of seconds where, oh my God, one thing they're so pleased that that man, the ruler of the country, is actually their own brother. And on one hand, uh-oh, what will he do now? Uh, and that is all happening in their mind, and that's why they were very speechless. Um, same way as we stand before the Almighty in fear and reverence. That is the same way we stand in front of the Almighty when we are sinful. And that's why we, when we pray, and today when we're praying the uh, psalm, uh, have mercy on me, you would read it again and you would realize that that would fit at, at very much their position at the moment. Have mercy according to your loving kindness, Joseph, and in our case, Lord. Do we feel the same? Do we feel we need that? It's only when we feel that way, as profound as the ten brothers felt it in this incident, this is the guarantee for the salvation. Finally, Joseph told, him, told them, please come near me. And St. Ambrose is talking about that and say, come to me. Because I have come near to you, yes, even so far that I made myself a sharer in your nature, by taking on flesh. When he was on the cross, Jesus said on behalf of the people, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So the same way as the Lord Jesus forgave and said, Come to me, come to me and you will find rest. The same way Joseph called, Come to me. Then, do not be angry. That's the second thing he mentioned. Um... Do not, therefore, be grieved or angry with yourselves. How passionate. Focus of Jesus, although they would not blame him if he at least rebuked his brothers for the years of slavery and neglect, they would expect at least, they would just a small rebuke. You know, like, you know what? What you did was not really good. It was not, it was not nice. Anything. You know, all these years of agony and jail and no future whatsoever and being away from his family, nothing. If you look at the words that Joseph said, nothing. The only reference was, you, uh, uh, you were intending harm, but the Lord had something else. Do not be angry. Just focusing on them rather than uh, on the problem. And when they panicked and thought they saw a spirit, Again, Jesus said to them, do you see the resemblance? When the Lord resurrected, Joseph in this case resurrected. He was dead, and now he's alive, according to the disciples. The Lord Jesus, same way, when he resurrected, it's mentioned, he told them to the disciples, he went in and told them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? 
And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that is, and myself. Handle me and see. The same way Joseph is saying, this is me. I am. I am who I am. I am your brother. I'm going to save you from all this famine. I'm going to you, save you from your uh, sins and forgive you the many sins. The same way as the Lord Jesus, when he resurrected, offered us the salvation. We'll move on. Um, verse 9 to verse 15, please. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, least you and your household, and all that you have. Come to poverty, for there are still five years of farming. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother's his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. So we continue on and basically Joseph giving instructions to his brothers what to do. Um, but what's interesting in verse 9 when he, Joseph said, God had made me Lord of all people. Come down to me, do not tarry. He's basically recognizing in the last couple of verses and this one, God's plan. And I want to pause a little bit and talk a little bit about this God's plan. Because sometimes we may not understand God's plan. And always you get questions when you have you know, Bible studies like this or activities. When people say, how do I know God's plan? And, and what is God's plan for me? And sometimes it's a very hard question to answer. Because who are we sometimes to know God's plan? How would Joseph know back then when he's thrown in a pit and then sold to foreigners that God has a plan for him to save his nation from famine? No way. It reminds me of the story Abuna Father Bishoel Antoni. Um, he has this uh, program in Arabic called Aya Wahkaya. Not sure if anyone has heard. Aya means a verse, Hikaya means a story. So a verse and a story. And in this case, the verse that he's referring to was all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And his contemplation was a story that happened to him personally. He was in Egypt serving in a poor area. And he heard of this young girl, just finished HSC, with very good ETA, oh, back in Egypt it's not ETA, but yeah, just for, your, uh, for the story to be more Aussie. Um, 
and got a very good ETA, but she comes from a very, very, very poor background. And uh, while she was walking, hit her leg and broke her leg. And when they did some analysis, they found out that she has bone cancer all over her body. And that was a, a shock, and everyone was talking about how lovely this girl is, lovely servant, very cheerful, uh, very pleasant to deal with. And Abuna got really intrigued, an extent that he decided to go and visit her. He had to travel, uh, almost you know, taking a bit of a car and a fair bit of walking until he reached whatever that village, that poor village he has, and he realized that she has actually no parents, parents passed away. The, uh, a very distant relative, that man who is currently hosting her, has, uh, is a very poor guy. He has a, um, a lot of kids and he decided to adopt her as well. And she was living in a very, very poor status. And Abuna started to talk to, talk to her and said, okay, Habibti, have you done anything? Have you done some more investigation? Have you checked with the doctor? What's the status? Can you, um, is there a sort of chemo that you can do? And her answer, Abuna, I've got no money. I can't ask my dad, who's actually not her dad, but the one looks after her. I can't ask him. We don't have any money. We can't do that. Abuna felt, you know, now that's not right. And he took her in her car, in his car, and went to the hospitals and did all the analysis and got all the reports. And finally, uh, he went to the specialist by himself and uh, with all the reports asking for a specialist opinion. And the specialist told him, Abuna, what I'm seeing in this report would imply that this lady, this girl, should have been dead for at least a year. Her, the cancer is everywhere in her body. There is no way I cannot do anything for you. Doing chemo is, is a, absolutely useless, will not help in any way per se. And then he took a rubber, piece of rubber from his uh, pocket and told him, Abuna, all what I ask you to do is to give her this piece of rubber so that when the pain is so severe, she put that in her mouth so that she can, does not bite her tongue because that's one of the problems that you would get. So Abuna took that piece of rubber and then the following day went and visited that girl and told her, how are you feeling? She said, I'm okay, Abuna. Do you feel any pain? Yeah, sometimes I feel a bit of a headache and I have Panadol and then I'm okay. I said, any more things than the, than the headache? No, just the headache and I take Panadol and then I become very well. So he puts back the rubber thing in his pocket and he started to realize that he's in front of something very unique. Obviously somebody the Lord has a plan for that girl. He has a plan. That plan, Abuna did not know to this point in time. But having someone that's supposed to be in agony with uh, probably days to live, lived and in that status for over a year after that. She was a source of blessing to everyone in that village. And the Lord used her for his kingdom to get people to repent, to get people to know him more, to get people to be encouraged by her, while she had no pain whatsoever, while the whole body is in cancer. 
Uh, Abuna said that he visited her a number of times after that. And one time towards the end, he was telling her, you know, I know that you used to go to St. Abanob Church in the other village and you used to serve there. But why did you stop? Why don't you continue to go there? You obviously can have a good service there. He said, Abuna, I can't move much and my parents, you know, don't have a car to take me there and trans public transport will take a lot of money. But anyway, Abanoob comes over every time and then. So he said, uh, I'm talking about Saint Abanoob, you know, the, the, the Saint Abanoob. Yeah, yes, Abuna, he comes, he knows that I can't come to him, so he comes to me. And he said, Saint Abanoob? I said, yeah. He said, and, and mom sees him all the time. Mom? So Abuna went to mom. Do you see Saint Abanoob here? And she said, Ma'arafshi Abuna, he just comes and, and walk around here. He's like a 12-year-old kid and he just wonder. And said, like that? With, did you have any problems? I said, Abuna, we went to church and asked you, if we see a saint, what do you do? And you told us just Irsham al-Salib, just say the uh, name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And if it's a real saint, okay. And if it's a, a, a devil thing, will disappear. And then we did that. And he did the same to us and smiled. So we said it's okay. So apparently, uh, everyone in the family had the sort of, the, and the mother said, and sometimes he would go when she's praying, he goes and sit with her. Anyway, the very last day of her life, she had this amazing experience. It, it came very late. <laughs> the very last day of her life, what happened? was again for the Lord's plan. See, I'm telling all this story to just explain to you the Lord has a plan. We might not know. Basically, St. Mary visited her in a dream and told her, I want you today to get St. George oil and anoint yourself because I will come and take you to heaven. So, she panicked. Mom, Dad, do we have St. George oil? No, we don't. Let's see the neighbor. Go to the neighbor. Do you have St. George oil? No. And kept going all around and got every, everybody in the neighborhood uh, awake to try to find St. George oil until finally they found it. The whole neighborhood was over. It's an exciting thing to see. And then she got anointed by that oil of St. George. And then they heard her saying, Yes, St. Mary. I did anoint myself with oil. I'm ready now. Thank you. And she closed her eyes and went. And Abuna was saying, that is a very appropriate way to live. I mean, St. Mary appearing to someone, she's a special. She's the, the, the head. She's the top, right? She comes there. And we pray every, every night prayer and talk about St. Mary come to our rescue in the day when our soul departs, right? That is the ultimate. And for her, that was the bare minimum for someone like her. But more importantly, it seemed that St. Mary found the only oil that most of the neighbors don't have, including their own house, just to make sure that they tell everyone and they witness this amazing experience. Anyway, how much time we have left? 10 minutes? Okay, so let's move on there. So the other interesting bit is uh, this concept of uh, Joseph wanted to make sure that his father Jacob is convinced and will be able to come. Joseph knows very well that Jacob is in his promised land. This is the land that was promised 
to his grandfather Abraham, to Isaac, and to him. So he had to explain, and that's why he says this concept of there will be still five more years of famine. You need to make sure, like remember, two years, only this whole story happened in two years. And they, twice they ran out of grain, right? So they really need to push this quite substantially. The other thing which is interesting in verse 12, he eyes, eyed, um, and behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. See that this is my mouth that speaks to you. He's basically witnessing Benjamin. He's the, the, probably the only one that he trusts, right? He said, Benjamin, you hear what I'm saying? You go tell your dad. He will listen to you. Remember, guys, there are ten brothers that went and said other stories to Jacob before, and they were all mythical, they were all incorrect, and they were all lies. That's why he is asking his brother to make sure that Jacob gets the right message. And then not just that, and hurry. Um, uh, when they then wept, he wept over them. You can see clearly that Joseph has a very clear conscience. conscience. He is honest in his communication. There's no uh, tricks in this. He is purely very happy to have his brothers back, especially after they went through a journey of repentance. Let's move on. Verse 16 till 24. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan. Bring your fathers and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded... Do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his, fathers these, his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. So first of all, you've noticed a commandment that came from Pharaoh, the real Pharaoh, to Joseph, the second command. This is actually probably the only time we heard a command from Pharaoh. Pharaoh has left everything, literally everything to Joseph, right? When he anointed him, uh, uh, um, appointed him, he basically, he's been running the show, pretty much uh, pure autonomy. So uh, the fathers were contemplating in this, and they said, oh, this luck sounds like the Lord Father is commanding his only begotten son to save his people, which is actually a lovely contemplation. The other very interesting thing is when the Pharaoh said, bring the carts, you know, the Egyptian carts. Now, we hear about this later on. 
with the Exodus, right? When there were all these Egyptian carts, which was like the, the biggest army of that time, and they're very fearful going with horses and whatever, and it's the most sophisticated piece of equipment at that time. He commanded as many carts as they want to go. And how many are they? They came back, what? 66 people. I mean, it's a little bit of a over-exaggeration there. But Father Tedros Yaoub Malati talks about this cart and said, what are the carts that will carry us? But the redeeming works of God, that the media of, and the media of salvation, together with supplications and prostration, that flare the heart to set forth by the Holy Spirit, not to enjoy the riches of the land of Egypt, but those of heaven itself. He's basically contemplating that these carts, same way these the vehicle for us that will take uh, the people of Israel from death to life, from the place of famine to the place of riches. An instance of these uh, divine carts is the sacrament of baptism. So uh, St. John the theologian says that baptism is one of those carts and enlightenment is baptism enlightenment is the boat that sails towards god sailing with christ enlightenment is the key to the kingdom of heaven restoration of life freedom from slavery and loosening of bonds so we believe in a baptism is the start and the lord jesus talked about that in detail when he was talking to nicodemus and he said unless you were baptized by water and the spirit you will not inherit the kingdom. Don't worry about what you have, he said. Um, how sweet. The only way is through the focus on the best. Uh, St. Paul say, but indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Basically, when he was saying, just don't worry about anything you have there. Just come. Come, we've got everything. Same way for us. Everything is rubbish, Lord. We're just going to come to you. We want you, Lord. We don't want anyone else. Uh, this concept of garments. Joseph decided to give garments to every one of his brothers. And the fathers contemplate a lot on garments. Garments is something that is mentioned quite a number of times in the Bible. And it has a very strong significance as well with baptism. So Joseph, representing Christ... Same way, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In Galatians, St. Paul is saying that. Putting on Christ, putting on that garment of salvation. When you hear about the wedding story, when the Lord explained that there was a wedding and they invited everyone on, turn up, and finally went to the streets to call everyone, and one guy turned up. But he said, he, a uh, friend, the Lord told him, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Garment was ready available for him to take, but he didn't bother. He was not ready. He went to the wedding of the Almighty, of the bride is the church, and the groom is the Lord Jesus, and he was not ready. He did not have that garment of baptism on. In Revelation, we hear that as well, as one of the instructions to the churches. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Very clear 
statement between the having that garment, the baptism, that will cover us, cover our sins, to allow us to have our names in the book of life. Um, but what's interesting as well, okay, in Corinthians, they say there is one glory. So, okay, so what you've noticed, he's given garment to every one of his brothers, but he did something different for Benjamin. Right? He had far more than, he gave him what, five garments? Uh, five garments. And he's giving him more uh, than everyone else. And he gave him 300 pieces of silver. Very interesting number, 300 pieces of silver. Should remind us with another story. Um, but anyway, so when sometimes the fathers say, what's that discrimination? Why? Benjamin gets more than everyone else. And the answer is, the, the sons and daughters of Christ are not the same. The Lord clearly said that. Corinthians, St. Paul says, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is shown in corruption and is raised in incorruption. St. Mary's ranking up in heaven is different than my ranking. And my ranking is different to others. Everyone is different according to their life, according to what they sacrifice to the Lord, according to how pure their heart is. He gave ten uh, donkeys uh, to load and another ten female donkeys. Um, and that reminds us with the verse from uh, Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. St. Paul is talking about how the Lord is so generous. And in this case, Joseph, representing the Lord, is so generous. He has not spared anything. He wanted to give them everything. Even though you might argue, he wants them to come back. You remember the first time? He gave them enough to fill their, their sacks, but they ran out and they came back. This time he wants them to come back with their dad, but they, no, that's not a problem. He was generous. He just gave everything he has. As much as they can carry, he, he gave. Um, and then he told them, don't be troubled. Um, the fathers were contemplating about this, don't be troubled, along the way. Why is Joseph telling his brothers not to be troubled during the way? And there are two key interpretations. One is literally on Joseph's command, uh, and this is uh, St. Ephraim is saying, Joseph's command not to quarrel on the way was to forbid his brothers to engage in recrimination about who was responsible for his fate. So he doesn't want them to go into this endless discussion. It was you, it was you. Why did we do that? And whatever. No, that's all gone, guys. History. This is wiped away now. Your sins are uh, for forgotten. Move on. And the other thing, which is uh, uh, by St. Uh, John Chrysostom, we must guard against anger on the way of life. And it can be identified with Christ's command to love your enemies. So he doesn't want to have any anger or any trouble. We are love our enemies and we need to make sure that we do not want, he doesn't want them to start pinching each other's money or grain and, and you know once you have wealth you start that sort of 
problems with uh, uh, fighting for the materialistic stuff. So obviously he wanted to avoid that. We only got a very small paragraph to go, so hang on with me here. So let's read the last few verses, please. From 25. Then they went up to Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he, had not, he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What a beautiful uh, message to bring back to their father. Joseph is still alive. I mean, how would he have dreamt of anything close to this. I mean, the best thing that he would have heard was, Benjamin is back. Yay. Simon is released from prison. Wow. We end up with more grain. We're not going to die. Hallelujah. But Joseph is alive. That is very similar to when we receive the message of Christ is alive. When we say Christ is risen, Indeed, he is risen. Unbelievable message to convey. It's the message of the good news. It's the heart will stop. Best possible news. And what's interesting is, 11 disciples came and, and gave that good news. Very similar to the 11 disciples that then told every man and woman and child that the Lord is risen. So, he saw... All the glory. And that's probably why Jacob believed. Because he probably did not believe them initially. And he's probably like absolutely shocked. But when he see all these carts and donkeys and all that glory. He started to realize. Oh, what they're saying is probably true. And then as you remember, uh, Benjamin told him. And he would have trusted Benjamin as the brother of, of Joseph. And then they tell, tell, tell us in uh, verse 27, their father revived. How beautiful is that? First time in a long time, Jacob, that you finally revived. Before that, you've been from agony to agony since the death of your beloved wife, then the loss of your son, and issues with your, with your sons and fighting and so forth. And finally, after all this famine, you come up with, we come up with that revival thing. St. Oregon says, We can say that our souls are like Jacob, when they are far from the true Joseph. The spirit in them are quenched. And when we recognize him as being alive, namely rise from the dead, our souls get enlightened inside us with the joy of of his resurrection working in us. How beautiful way to summarize the exact resemblance of the message Joseph is alive with the message Christ is risen. It is enough. Verse 28. What else? Unbelievable. Overwhelmed. There's nothing else under the sun that we can care about. Christ is risen. He is indeed risen. We are now saved. Despite our sins, despite our transgressors, despite our weaknesses, he is risen. 
and then go and see him. I'll go and see him before I die. I die. But can he leave the promised land? Remember, he has been promised to stay in this land because that's the promised land of his grandfather, his father and him. Very interesting ask. Can I go and leave the promised land and disobey my God? Next week you will hear more about this. And glory be to God. I mean, <laughs> any questions? I just had a bit of question about um, Joseph living in Egypt, and like here we hear about this maybe some divination stuff, and we know like he married an Egyptian. And um, do you think he like mixed in with? And, and like when the brothers came, they didn't recognize him and stuff like Do you think he mixed in with like the Egyptian culture at the time? Or do you think he held on to his... Look, I, I actually did check this one out, that question, because it did interest me, the divination thing. And uh, most of the fathers agreed that the answer is actually no. He, is, he was using this because that's how Egyptians work. And he wanted to make, as I explained, just a silver cup, having all this... The second in command in Egypt with all these wealth worried about one silver cup. Come on, Yanni, get real. But then it becomes, it has to be something spiritual. And he can't tell them anything spiritual related to their God because then they will say, hang on, who are you? So he had to use uh, something from the land. Um, but you can clearly tell from uh, uh, Joseph's life that he has been with the Lord throughout. And a very strong evidence to that when he revealed himself, how he presented, he said that was God's plan. You know, if someone has gone astray and, and, and start worshipping other gods, he would not see that very clear view of how God's plan has worked in his life. And yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with that. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.